Hey folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 69, Attempt to Locate. Meet with Lieutenant Rip Wilson to determine what else was needed to complete the scene at 2239 Shannon. The writer was advised that reports had been received that there was unrest among the citizens in the area because seven male blacks had been fatally wounded by police officers. The writer was advised that if possible to complete the scene and turn the house over to the proper people. On January 13, 1983, approximately 12 noon, the writer, along with Sergeant J.L. Collier, went to 2239 Shannon and met with Lieutenant Rick Wilson. We were also met by investigators from the Attorney General's office, and Lieutenant Wilson informed the AG investigators of the crime scene and showed them the crime scene while the writer and Sergeant Collier waited outside. Afterwards, the AG investigators left and the writer talked with Lieutenant Wilson as to what else was needed to be done on the scene. Lieutenant Wilson advised the writer that Ann Fowler and Paulette Sutton from UT Toxicology were on the scene taking blood samples and completing their investigation. It was noted that Captain Lundy and Sergeant Montgomery of Crime Scene were on the scene with the crime scene van to provide portable lights for inside the house. Lieutenant Wilson advised that the scene was completed up to the point of Ann and Paulette completing their investigation. Lieutenant Wilson advised there were several items on the coffee table in the living room which would need to be tagged and processed by the crime scene after the toxicology personnel completed their investigation. Lieutenant Wilson also suggested that the writer get carpet samples from where the bodies were located to determine if any shots went through the carpet into the floor. Lieutenant Wilson further advised that he had his investigators count the number of bullet holes in and outside the house, and if they, violent crimes, were to continue the investigation, they could probably control the scene until the next day and return and attempt to determine some type of trajectory of the sketch of the bullet holes. Lieutenant Wilson further stated that he did not know how accurate such charts would be. After talking to Lieutenant Wilson to determine what had to be done, the scene at 2239 Shannon was turned over to the writer and Sergeant Collier at approximately 2 p.m. on Sunday, January 13, 1983. On January 13, 1983, at approximately 3 p.m., Ann Fowler and Paulette Sutton advised they had completed their investigation. Also at this time, crime scene officers C. Harrell and T. Koontz arrived to relieve the other crime scene officers. The writer advised Sergeant Harold as to what was needed in the living room area in regards to the items on and around the coffee table. Sergeant Harold did process these items and later tagged them at the property room. During this period, the writer and Sergeant Collier did take carpet samples from the middle and back bedroom, which is where the bodies of the seven male blacks were found. After removing these carpet samples, the writer and Sergeant Collier observed the floor and could find no indication of any holes. These carpet samples and other items were later tagged in the property room by Sergeant Collier. Now that piece of information 
would uh, cover any complaints or accusations made by people that said that Tacky just went in there and shot them as they laid on the floor. At least in some people's mind, that would lay that argument to rest. Crime scene investigation was completed in the living room. Ryder walked through the area, and in the bar area, he found what appeared to be a flattened, and I can't read the caliber, slug line on the north end of the bar. Ryder also found three spent shells in the bar area, and these items were taken and later tagged in the property room. As the writer was preparing to secure the house, we found a paper sack in the south of the living room which contained several spent shells. This sack was later learned to have been accidentally left by Sergeant Garner, and the items were tagged. It was felt at this point that the scene at 2239 Shannon had been completed and that at approximately 3.40 p.m., the writer relinquished the scene to Miss Arilla Pillion, who is the sister of Lindbergh Sanders. The writer did also have Miss Pillion sign a handwritten receipt, which will become part of the file. It should be noted, while in the R&I Bureau, Sergeant Lee advised the writer that the following four subjects had been identified through their prints. David Lee Jordan, Lindbergh Sanders, Larnell Sanders, and Andrew Houston. Now that would indicate if they've been identified by prints in the R&I section, that's records and identification, by the way, that would indicate they've been arrested. On Friday, January 14, 1983, the writer did proceed to juvenile court to check on juvenile records on the seven male blacks. After arriving at the juvenile court, the writer did talk to Chief Probation Officer Mr. John Jones. Mr. John Jones did check the records of all the subjects and was only able to find a juvenile record on Michael Delane Coleman, male black, date of birth, 8, 1764. Following is a list of his juvenile record, which was furnished by Mr. Jones. 23 of 81, truancy. 2-16-81, truancy. And complaint withdrawn. 4-17-81, truancy. 4-27-81, released from school. 9-5-81, violation of curfew. And 11-20-81, burglary 3, and petition dismissed. Now, if I'm not mistaken, before they revised the Tennessee Code annotated, I believe a burglary three, I think that was a burglary of a business, I believe. Either that or it was a burglary of a house. They had, you had, uh, you either broke into something and somebody was inside or you broke in and they, they weren't there. And that indicated the degree one two or three i'll have to look that up folks get back with you on uh on what that is that's got me curious now there was no shelby county record or no traffic record on coleman although there was no juvenile record of arrest on Lindbergh sanders records did reveal he had been arrested on 216-70 for non-support for juvenile court and as a result had been fined for contempt of court. On Friday, on Friday, January 14, 1983, 
The writer was again instructed to go to the RI Bureau and check on the following subjects for records. Benjamin Coleman, Mel Black, date of birth 72958, did find a record with an MPD under the number 186873. Timothy Coleman, Mel Black, date of birth 8663, no record. James Robert Payne, male black, date of birth 6555, BFI 180630, Gary Lewis Coleman, male black, date of birth 11259, record with police department, BFI number 199110, Lee Rogers, male black, date of birth 6064, BFI number 13359, Ray Anthony Akins, male black, date of birth 8358, Memphis B of I number 177304, Melvin Charles Davis, male black, date of birth 92863, no record either MPD or Shelby County, Timothy Renee Coleman, male black, date of birth 8663, no record with department should be noted that the writer did obtain records and BFI photos of the male blacks listed above who did have records. All the above photographs and arrest records were turned over to Sergeant Hawley as part of this file. On Friday, January 14, 1983, all the subjects who were at 2239 Shannon, the writer then proceeded to Shelby County Medical Examiner's Office and did obtain copies of the Medical Examiner's Report, which were turned over to Sergeant Hawley. On Friday, January 14, 1983, Patrolman D.W. Cooper, along with Sergeant Hammers, was instructed by Sergeant Hawley to go to 2236 Clarksdale, which is the residence of Jackie Young, in an attempt to locate him and bring him to the security squad office where a typewritten statement could be obtained from him. Sergeant Holly advised the writer that Jackie Robinson Young was one of the male blacks who was in the house at 2239 Shannon when the original call was placed. The writer, along with Patrolman Cooper, did proceed to Chelsea and Hyde Park where we did call for a uniformed car to meet us as a backup unit. We did proceed to the 2236 Clarksdale, and upon our arrival, we did talk with the mother of Jackie Young. She stated her son was not at home at this time, and she did not know his whereabouts. But he did, on occasion, go to the residence at 2239 Shannon for prayer meetings. Miss Young instructed to have Miss Young was instructed to have her son contact the security squad office whenever she did have contact with him. On Saturday, January 15, 1983, shortly after 8 a.m., Jackie Robinson Young, male black, 25, did contact the security squad by phone, at which time he was advised to come to the security squad office to give a statement. On January 15, 1983, 12.40 p.m., typewritten statement was obtained from Jackie Robinson Young by Sergeant B.O. Wheeler, which is a part of this file. Saturday, January 15, 1983, 10 a.m. Patrolman D.W. Cooper and Sergeant J. Hammers were instructed to proceed to the vehicle storage lot on Flickr and inventory and photograph the four vehicles that were pulled 
in from the scene. The riders, after arriving at the vehicle storage lot, did inventory and photograph the following described vehicles. 1975 Buick Maroon in color, Tennessee license, Bravo Mike Lima 691, registered to Charlene Smith, 642 North 7th. 1973 Buick Regal two-door, black over red, Tennessee license, Bravo November Victor 520, registration to Andrew Houston, 1686 Pope. 1973 Continental Yellow Tennessee License 1 Sierra Lima 799 Restored to David L. Jordan 1090 Ayers 1970 Plymouth Black Over White 4 Door Tennessee License 1 November Sierra 025 Restored to Lulu McRae 1848 Speed Now I've never seen a picture of that Black and white Plymouth. I don't know where it was parked at. I haven't seen it in any of the pictures I've got. Should be noted in the 1973 Buick Regal, registered to Andrew Houston, was found a Holy Bible and one commercial appeal paper dated January 1, 1983. This newspaper contained on the front page the story surrounding the death of Officer Sykes, who was killed on December 31, 1982. The Gold Holy Bible launched a commercial appeal newspaper and a Department of Human Services food stamp order was tagged and photographed under receipt number 83-13467. On Sunday, January 16, 1983, Sergeants B.O. Wheeler and J. Hammers were instructed to go to 848 Speed, residence of Reginald McCray, and attempt to learn from him the names and addresses of the other two male blacks who were at the Shannon address when Officer Hester and Swill made the original call. At this time, he gave the name of Fred Davis and the name of Joe of another male black whose last name was unknown. The writer proceeded to 848 speed but could not find Reginald McCray. It was then decided that we would proceed to the residence of James Murphy, Jr. at 527 North 7th apartment I and see if he could tell us information we were seeking. At 10.45 a.m., the writers did interview James Murphy, Jr., at which time he told us he did not know the address of Fred Davis, did not know the last name of Joe. However, he did have the phone number of Fred Davis, at which time he called it. After Reginald called Fred Davis, Sergeant Hammers took the phone and did obtain the address of Fred Davis, which was 956 Lee. We instructed Fred Davis to remain at the location and we would come by and pick him up and take him to the security squad for a type statement. The writers did proceed to 956 Lee and we did pick up Fred Lee Davis, male black, 28, at which time he took us to the residence of Joe E. Coleman Jr., <laughs> Jr., which was, and I cannot read that address on Lexington Circle. At this time, Joe Coleman arrived. Uh, correction, Joe Coleman agreed to go to the security squad office for statements. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode. As you can see, the investigation continues. A lot of work, a lot of work to be done. 
Look, by the way, that burglary three, that's going to be the, that's going to be the breaking and entering of a building. Generally, it means an unoccupied building, so it's the lesser of the three burglary charges back in that era. All right, our highlighted picture for today, as you can see, that was my first day as the lieutenant over the vice and narcotics team. We were doing a search warrant that day. It's a good way to get started. Down there off of Kansas Street, if I'm not mistaken. I remember old Shank, he was on the... He was carrying the hammer. He had to knock the door in and he knocked it off the hinges. That was pretty impressive. Alright folks, I do appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all tuning in. We will get back together in a few days. And until then, I'll see you down the road.